Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So a reading from Luke 22, beginning at verse 66. And as Ben said, that's page 1059. Jesus before Pilate and Herod. At daybreak... The council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer, but from now on, The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying, I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us. Mocked by insults, in my place condemned he stood. Lifted up was he to die. We ask you, Heavenly Father, that we would be saying... And not just singing with our lips, but saying from our hearts, hallelujah, what a saviour. We pray that for the rest of our lives and not least of all as we look at this Bible passage now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, the end of chapter 22, page 1059 that Claire read for us just a moment. And as we continue looking through some passages in Luke's gospel. I mean, it it, it hurts, it really hurts when you are shunned by those you're trying to help. 
parents know what it's like as they give their teenage children advice and get it shoved back in their face with the words, you don't love me. Health professionals and those in social services know what it feels like as they make decisions for the physical or emotional well-being of those in their care, only for the advice to be ignored or, or for their expertise and professionalism to be called into question. And here's the thing. The God of the universe know what it's, knows what it, it's like to be shunned by those he loves and tries to help as well. Jesus, the, the friend of sinners, the one who, as we've seen over these last weeks, goes to such extreme lengths to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, the God who left the comfort and splendour of heaven itself to live among rebellious people and to die the most cruel death, he knows what it is to be shunned by the very people he's come to save. And that is what we see in our Bible passage this morning as Jesus is rejected by the religious leaders, by Pilate and by Herod. We see three ways that we shun the very one who loves us and who goes to such lengths to to help us and to save us. Uh, First, if you're taking notes, if you like to do these things, here's the first heading, the religious leaders, and I've called it Minds Made Up, chapter 22, verses 66 to 71. Uh, By this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been arrested by the authorities and and mocked and beaten by the guards who detained him. So having spent a harrowing night of duress in custody, we read verse 66, at daybreak the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. At first reading, we might well think that the religious leaders want to know the truth. But as we read on, we're left in no doubt that they're only interested in getting some incriminating evidence to use against Jesus. The religious leaders here represent people who are not actually interested in trying to discover the truth. They don't want to believe what Jesus says, whatever he says. They've already made up their minds about him, and Jesus knew that. So as they asked, verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us, Jesus answered, if I tell you, you'll not believe me. Jesus knows the hearts of men and women. We've seen it right through Luke's gospel. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what makes us tick. He knows our motives. And he knows that with some people, it doesn't matter what he says, they're not going to believe. Of course, you and I can't see into someone's heart the way Jesus can. Frankly, we don't even always know what's in our own heart of hearts. But it doesn't take long to know when you're talking with someone like this, someone who's already made up their mind about Jesus. I've met a number of people like this in these last years. They ask perhaps to meet me for coffee to discuss Christianity and I'm always delighted to do that. And once we've got our coffee, they ask me questions about Jesus and the Bible and what Christians believe. But then it becomes clear that they're not asking their questions as genuine seekers after truth but as those who've already decided that Christianity is wrong. And uh, frankly, it doesn't matter what I say. They've already decided that Jesus can't possibly be any more than just a man in history. Now, that's how it is here with the religious leaders who put Jesus on trial. It really doesn't matter how he answers their questions. Their minds are made up. So he says, verse 67, if you tell me, the answer to your question, if I tell you the answer to your question, you'll not believe me anyway. It's frustrating talking to people like this. But the really terrifying thing about asking questions with a closed mind, uh, the really terrifying thing about 
already sitting in judgment on Jesus. The really terrifying thing of acting in judgment on Jesus is that we set ourselves up to be judged by him. Let me read again from verse 67. They said, if you are the Christ, tell us. And Jesus answered, I tell you, you'll not, if I tell you, you'll not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And you see what's going on there in verse 69. Shunning those who want to help you is never a smart move. But when we do it to Jesus, it's the most foolish thing anyone can ever do. For he is, verse 69, the Son of Man. And in Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man is seen to be the most powerful being in existence. The Son of Man is the supreme power over all the dark forces in this universe. So do you see, to be sitting in judgment on Jesus is to have picked a fight with the wrong person. My dad taught me many useful things. One of the things he told me was not to pick a fight with people who are bigger than me, which meant that I don't pick fights with many people, um, at least not physical ones anyway. Uh, choosing to sit in judgment on Jesus leaves us in the dock. We've picked a fight with the wrong person. It's us who are in the dock when we do that. Rejecting the very one who's come to help us leaves us with no help, but only the frightening prospect of judgment to come. See, the truth is we will all meet Jesus one day. We'll either meet him as our loving saviour or we'll meet him as our eternal judge. And if we will not accept him as our loving saviour, if we reject the one who came to seek and save the lost, then we have cut ourselves off from the only way of rescue. And we will meet him in judgment. That's what we're seeing going on here. And so Jesus declares himself to be the almighty son of man. And he revealed his identity here as a way of lovingly warning the religious leaders of the danger they were in. But in declaring himself the son of man, it simply raised a question in their already closed minds. See, verse 70, they all ask, are you then the son of God? And the religious leaders are asking, are you claiming a special relationship with God when you claim to be the son of man? Are you claiming to be the son of God? And Jesus replied, verse 70, you're writing saying I am. And then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. Here it is again, a a classic example of uh, of the closed mind. The religious leaders are saying he can't be the son of God. That's not a possibility. And therefore he must be lying or worse, he must be blaspheming. So end of verse 71, they said, we've heard it from his own lips. Now, and I don't mishear this. It's good to question. It's right to question. I was helped years ago when someone encouraged me to to ask searching questions about the Christian faith when they said, ask your questions and don't be frightened of asking your questions because if God cannot stand up to the questioning, then he's not God at all and he's not worth following. Ask questions. But if your mind is already made up, if your mind is already closed to the answers, then it doesn't matter what questions you ask or what answers you get, you're in a precarious position. Beware the closed mind. The mind that is already made up will not listen to Jesus. And so the closed mind rejects Jesus. So here is Jesus having made his way to Jerusalem to die for rebellious people. And the very people he's come to save shun him. And note the irony here. 
David Gooding writes, ironically, their execution of Jesus would be but the first step in the process of translating their prisoner to his seat at the right hand of the power of God. He said he's the son of man. And by them rejecting him as the son of man, as it were, puts him on his throne as the son of man. Firstly, then, the religious leader's minds made up. Secondly, Pilate passing the buck, chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. See, if in the religious leaders we saw people whose minds were already made up, in Pilate we see someone who's not prepared to make up his mind. Having got the incriminating evidence they required, the religious leaders marched Jesus off to Pilate, the Roman governor. Because Israel was under Roman occupation, the religious authorities had, to pass, had no power to pass the death sentence. So they had to go to Pilate. So verse 1, the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. Now those accusations, at least some of them, I mean he did claim to be Christ the King, but some of those accusations or the way they were put are simply not true. But Pilate isn't going to put Jesus to death for blasphemy, so they charged him with subversion. And inevitably, Pilate picks up on Jesus' claim to be a king, verse 3. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Of course, we know from other parts of the Bible that the, um, uh, the, whole, the whole interview, the whole interrogation was much longer. But the crucial thing for us to note here is that Pilate thought that Jesus was innocent. And so he should have had Jesus released. But, verse 5... They insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the, way for, for, all the way here. And on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now, don't misunderstand what's going on here. Pilate didn't send Jesus to Herod because, in Pilate's mind, Jesus' innocence was now in question. No, Pilate passed Jesus on to Herod the moment he heard that Jesus was a Galilean because Pilate wanted someone else to take responsibility. Pilate didn't want to make up his mind about Jesus. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, but he he knew that carrying through with what he knew was true would have implications. Pilate knew that releasing Jesus would make life complicated for him, make him unpopular with the religious leaders and possibly with the crowd, so he passed the buck. Again, you see, I've met a number of people uh, down through the years. Um, I have uh, at least one of them in my mind as I speak. People have looked into the evidence and um, they don't argue with it. They, they kind of know it's true. They, they happily admit that Jesus is God. They, they know that, that they are not the people they ought to be. They understand that Jesus died on the cross for them. They agree with it all, but they never become followers of Jesus They don't appear to reject Jesus, but they don't accept him either. They just don't make a decision about him. They pass the buck. And they won't make a decision because they know that to do that would have implications. It would mean perhaps a change of lifestyle. It would mean having to stand up for Christ and it could make life uncomfortable. And so they think it's easier not to make their minds up at all. But the truth here is we see Pilate doing that 
is that in doing nothing, we are shunning the very one who came to help us. And that's obvious when we look at Pilate. As I read about him, I don't know whether you found yourself doing this. I found myself this week shouting at the page, not literally, you'll be pleased to know, but in my mind, shouting at the page, you know Jesus is innocent, you should let him go. I've been saying in my mind to Pilate, have the courage of your convictions. And as we look at Pilate this morning, we need to have the courage of our convictions. And I'm not just thinking of those who haven't yet given their lives to Christ. Those of us who are committed Christians need to have the courage of our convictions. Because like Pilate, we can pass the buck on decisions about Jesus. Again, let me be autobiographical for a moment. I can think of a number of times down through the years when I've read things in the Bible, but not wanted to believe what I've read because I know it will have implications on my life. Either because it will mean that I'll have to change things, or it will mean that if I believe these things and teach these things, it will make me unpopular. So for a time, sometimes for years, I've sat on the fence, even though I've known the truth, made no decision even though I've known the truth of it. Of course, the truth of that is that I actually have made a decision. The irony here, you see, is that in making no decision is a decision. It is to reject Jesus. That's obvious when we look at Pilate. Not making the decision to release Jesus led led to Jesus' execution. And so as you grapple with whatever it is that the Lord is challenging you over, don't shun the one who's come to help you. The religious leaders, minds made up, Pilate passing the buck, and then thirdly, Herod mocking the king in verses 8 to 12. And we've seen Jesus being passed from pillar to post, from, first from the religious authorities to Pilate, now from Pilate to Herod. Verse 7, when he, Pilate, heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. And then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. It's remarkable how quickly Herod moves from being delighted to meet Jesus in verse 8 to mocking him in verse 11. In verse 8, Herod had heard about Jesus, heard about the miracles that Jesus did, and Herod wanted to see Jesus perform one in front of his very eyes. And so verse 9, he plied him with many questions, but notice this, Jesus gave him no answer. Now, we should learn here that you can't play with Jesus. One person describes Herod as a man of intolerable frivolity, wanting to see some magic. Now, you see, if that's our approach to Jesus, then don't expect to get anything back from Jesus. This, again, has been very instructive to me as I've looked at it this week. I meet people who seem deaf to the truth of the gospel. They ask questions of Jesus. They attend a Christianity Explored course, but they seem to get nothing out of it. Here could be the reason why. Their approach to Jesus is so shallow. Talking about Jesus is just a fascinating discussion for them. It's a a form of entertainment. It's intellectually stimulating. 
But look, because Jesus knows our hearts, he'll not speak to us if we have this kind of approach to him. And so this encounter ends with Herod, verse 11, and his soldiers ridiculing and mocking him, dressing him in an elegant robe and sending him back to Pilate. See, Herod's curiosity turned to contempt. I can, I can see and hear a friend of mine in this story. He was someone who, who appeared to show interest in Jesus. He liked, like Herod, he, he kept saying that he wanted to see a miracle. One day after a long discussion about Christianity, this friend said to me, if when I go home today there's a pot of gold on my doorstep, I'll believe. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Sounds a bit like Herod. Of course, my friend never did see the miracle he demanded. And because of his approach, as I look at this, I reckon verse 9, Jesus was silent in this friend's life. He never heard a word of conviction in his heart, even though he heard a lot of the Bible. And so, like Herod, he ended up ridiculing Christ, as we see in verse 11. See, if you have, a, if you have that kind of approach to Jesus, just a frivolous approach to Jesus, you won't hear anything from him. In the end, you'll ridicule him. Like Pilate, Herod should really have had Jesus released because Herod knew that he was innocent. Again, the irony is not lost on us. Herod dressed Jesus as a king and mocked him. What is really frightening here is that standing before Herod was the son of God and the son of man and the king, not just of the Jews, but of the universe. And all Herod could do was jest. In his great love, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Lost people like Herod and Pilate and the religious leaders and you and me. But Herod shunned him. Now the the actions of the religious leaders and Pilate and Herod all contributed to send Jesus to the cross where he would die the most physically painful death. But in these moments leading up to the cross, we see the emotional pain that Jesus endured. Because you see, it hurts. It really hurts when you're shunned by those you're trying to help. But such is the love of God for those he came to seek and to save that Jesus was prepared to endure that pain. What a God. What a saviour. 